Welcome to Infinite Fellowship Ministries, where we train believers to know and to pursue God's perfect will so as to yield fruit for His kingdom. Here's a sermon by Pastor Evans Ochien. I trust that we are all well. I'm happy that I can be able to hear myself, which is a wonderful thing. Um, let me start by just blessing God for His presence in this service. Um, I think as Deaconess Mary has said, it is very, very wrong to actually be in the presence of God and live absolutely the same. So it is my prayer that if you have not received anything yet, that through this sermon, the Lord will speak to you in one way or the other. Um, I'd also like to bless God for, for Bishop, our spiritual father, uh, who has journeyed with me for 12 years. <laughs> I think I always remember the very first prophetic word that Bishop gave me. By the way, to, to some of you, it might be a surprise. He didn't tell me you're going to be a prophet. He actually told me that you've been betrayed. <laughs> and uh, I think for me, that was quite a shocker because people are being told, you're going to be a businessman, you're going to be wealthy, you're going to be powerful. And then I was told, you're going to be betrayed. And I was so downcast that day. But I, I realized it was for a reason. Prophetic word is given for a reason and for a purpose. And I really thank God for him journeying with me for the 12 years we've worked together. And of course, I'm looking forward to much more intense moments. Hallelujah. So I'd like us to go straight into the word of God. Um, I'll just read two scriptures because I believe we all have the anchor scripture because I've been doing a series. So I'll be reading from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 19, verse 8. 2 Samuel, chapter 19, verse 8. If you, if you have it, Karomo, in any version, you can just go ahead. Thank you. Um, 2 Samuel, chapter 19, verse 8, and I read, Then the king arose and sat in the gate, and all his followers were told, The king is sitting in the gate. And they all came before the king. Now Israel, Absalom's troops had fled, every man to his home. Then I'm going to read Psalms chapter 24, verse 7. Psalms chapter 24, verse 7. Psalms 24, verse 7. It says, Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you age-abiding doors, that the King of glory may come in. So I've been speaking or doing a sermon on dominion, the genetic code of sonship. Uh, this is part three. And um, the subtitle for my sharing for today is the infrastructure of spiritual gates. <laughs> the infrastructure of spiritual gates. Now, I, I know people can get caught up in the terminologies and the words that are being used, but I want you to really flow with me because there's, there's somewhere I'm going with this. I don't believe this is a message for just infamy alone. I believe that this is something that is relevant to the body of Christ. Because um, for, for most of the body of Christ, and I, I, I believe that all of us have been able to see the same happening, if you've been keen, there's been a lot of spiritual blindness. And I thank God Deaconess Mary has been able to talk about prayer and the word, that there are certain elements of prayer and the word that many of us have fallen short of either in this community as well as in the wider body of Christ. And one of the key areas that people struggle in the body of Christ is with regards to the word. You see, it's not just about reading the word, but it's also about applying it. And the application of that word is missing. That is what I'm terming as spiritual blindness. Okay? One of the reasons that exists, because for most of you, I can 
automatically tell by virtue of you being in this community. You've been praying for many years. You're trusting God for a job. Some of you are trusting God for spouses. Some of you are trusting God for children. But the reason as to why some of those prayers are not being answered is not because you're praying amiss. But it's actually because there's a gate that is presiding or over you that is causing you not to progress. Because gates have the capacity or the ability to limit your progress in life. It just depends on which particular gate you're referring to. So you have gates in areas or even in nations. You have gates within particular localities. You have gates in particular companies. You have gates in your businesses. You have gates at a personal level. Because at a personal level, when I talk about your gates, I'm talking about your spiritual faculties. So your mind, your heart, your will, your emotions, all of these are gates. So for example, if I am offended with you, that in itself is a gate. If I have an issue with the way you carry yourself and I allow that to cause me to have bitterness, that becomes a gate. And that gate then limits me from most of my prayers, if not all of them, being answered. So it's not even about you praying amiss. A lot of us are prophetic. We know what God is saying, but we don't know what gate is hindering us from progressing in our lives. And that gate in turn is hindering us from also being able to walk in dominion as the spirit of, Lord, of the Lord would desire us to walk, okay? So, something that people tend to ignore in the body of Christ is spiritual diet. You see, spiritual diet in itself is a gate. So, by talking about spiritual diet, I'm not talking about the breakfast you had this morning. <laughs> I'm talking about that which you allow your spiritual faculties to partake of. Because your spiritual faculties are that which partake of spiritual diet. You don't partake of spiritual diet based on your physical faculties, if I can put it that way. So it's not about your stomach or what you eat, really. And we, by the way, we usually say this a lot, you are what you eat. The same thing translates in the spiritual realm. You are basically what you eat spiritually. So if all I feed on is entertainment during the course of the week, if I come to this altar and I preach to you, that is what you will receive. You may not see it because, of course, we are reliant on tangibility. We look for tangibility. We look for things that we can touch. We look for things that we can feel. We look for things that we can smell. But even after I preach this sermon to you, and as you go through your week, there is a gate that is either hindering my progress in my personal life or causing me to advance. And that gate is what causes me to now flow in the stream that I flow into. It's basically a consequence of the gate that is within or, or in operation in my life. So there are gates and there are doors. So the question is, what gate is it that is either hindering your progress or causing you to advance? Okay? And what is the gate that is hindering you from being able to exercise your dominion? Because dominion is nothing if it is dormant. It has to be exercised. Otherwise, it will just remain as potential energy until it becomes kinetic energy, which is energy in motion, there's no way it will be able to impact anyone. Are we together? So you've read the scripture, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Now the question I began to ask myself is, why is it that these gates were not afraid, yet the king of glory was coming? What happened? What exactly happened? You need to pay attention to the personality in question in this scripture that we have just read. It is referring to the king of glory. He was a king. And understand that you are a king as well. But gates will never be conscious of your authority until you exercise it. 
You see, and exercising it is not just me shouting in tongues and saying, I bind every single demon, but I don't even know what demon I'm binding. You see, the scripture says that my people perish because of lack of knowledge. The lack of knowledge on what exactly is the gate that is in operation in your life causes people to pray amiss. It's not the hours that you spend in prayer. I can spend four hours and I'm doing nothing because there's a gate that is in operation in my life. There's a certain infrastructure. There's a certain architecture that is in my life that is hindering me from progressing. Okay? So he was a king. Understand that gates will never be conscious of your authority until you exercise it because dominion is useless if it is not exercised. If you do not exercise the dominion God has given you, it is useless. Dominion does not mean I exert myself on people and say I am a pastor or I am a prophet because many ministers are doing that. They have the title, but they don't have the authority that comes with the title because the authority is from Christ. It's not from the man. It's not from the title. So if I'm a prophet, I'm a prophet based on the revelation of Christ that I have, not based on feelings, not based on emotions. That's why I can't just decide to go print business cards because now I am a prophet. <laughs> it takes a duration of time. It takes time for me to be molded, to be broken, to be made into the stature of Christ as per who he has called me to be as a prophet. Are we together? So the king came in his glory. He didn't forget his glory. It says the king of glory. He came in his glory. It doesn't just say the king came. He actually came in his glory, which is also an admonition to us because a lot of times we go into the gates, the gates of business, the gates of uh, religion, the gates of family, etc. We go into these gates and we go with nothing. All we, go is with our, all we go with is with our ego and with our pride. And when we go with that, then what happens is we are not able to function within the gates. And consequently, we are not able to impact the people that God has called us to. Okay? So why were these beings, these beings at the gates, not afraid when the king came in his glory? Because these beings are rebellious. And until they're subjugated, they will never bow. They have to be subjugated. And subjugation, again, is not just about binding. So I understand there's a particular gate in my area, for example, where I stay that is hindering me as well as even the entire people who live in that particular area from progressing. The first thing that I need to do is address that gate. I need to break it. Because until that gate is broken, then there's no way that I'll be able to progress. Every other prayer that I make will be in vain until I address the gate. That is why this scripture says, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Why? It's addressing the gates first because the king of glory must come within an environment or within a place where he is able to function. And because these gates are hindering that function, they have to be broken. In this case, they have to be lifted. Amen? Amen. So what is a gate? Number one, a gate is not only an opening, but a legal access point. Any being that has access to a gate has been given permission to access it. Because understand that gates are, are opened not by the physical opening of a particular door. They are opened based on what you accept and what you reject. So if I accept certain values, that opens a gate. If I reject certain values, that in itself opens a gate. Okay? So 
The question you need to ask yourself is, what is it that you have accepted? What is it that you have rejected? I'm reminded of a story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refused to bow to King Nebuchadnezzar, if you can remember. They rejected the gate that was in operation within that particular time frame or within that particular context. And as a result, that inducted them into a higher level with God. And that is what prevented them from being burnt in the furnace when they were thrown in the furnace. Okay? It's a similar scenario. So ask yourself, what is it that you have accepted? What is it that you have rejected? Because therein lies the reason as to why you're either stagnating or you're progressing. Consider even churches. You'll find a church where a minister is so powerful. They appear to have everything. They appear to, to have uh, the anointing. They appear, to have, they, they appear to be functioning. They appear to have everything that is required for a minister to be effective. But for some reason, the church is not growing. The reason as to why the church is not growing is because there is a gate in operation that is hindering the growth of that particular ministry. It's not just because of like numerical numbers. You know, people think because infamy doesn't have as many people, this place is not full, which by the way, we want to do so. And that is the reason as to why we're inviting people for the summit. But people might think that because infamy does not have a full seat capacity, that we are not a dom dominant church. But we actually are in the spirit because of the things that God has said about infamy. It's not about what you see physically. It's actually about what is the representation of infamy in the realms of the spirit. That in the realms of the spirit, in infamy we are many, even though we, may, we might appear a few. Are you together? So access into a life, city, church, family, or nation is granted or denied at the gate. So for someone to access your family spiritually, it depends on the gate that is over your family. For someone to access your business, it depends on the gate that is in operation within that particular business or company that you're running. For someone to access an entire nation, it depends on what particular gate is at play within that particular nation, okay? Because a gate is a conclave of spiritual entities. So where there's a gate, there are spiritual entities involved. So it's not just a gate, like this, this daystar gate that you see here. What you see here physically represents something in the spirit. So there's a certain spirit that presides or hovers over this institution by virtue of the gate that is at play. So for example, when you see people struggling, and I'm just giving an example, people struggling with academia within this particular institution, there's a gate that is at play that is causing people to struggle in that particular area. When you see people in your estate in your area where you stay, struggling with alcoholism, they're struggling with sexual perversion, there is a gate that has been opened. And it was opened as a result of someone that accepted a certain set of values, and those values became the norm for how people should do things within that particular area. Are we together? I hope you are flowing. <laughs> okay. So the other definition of a gate is, a gate is a control point. It is a symbol of power, and it's also a symbol of authority. So whoever controls the gate has dominion over it. So that is the reason as to why this is very much tied to dominion. Because if I have control over the gate that is in my life, then I basically have the authority to exercise my dominion. But if I don't have that ownership, if I don't have that ability to transact with the spiritual entities at the gate, then I lack the capacity to be able to have dominion. 
Are we together? So a gate is also a meeting place. A destiny conclave exists because of people not only coming together to fellowship, but people who are aligned in terms of access. When I talk about a destiny conclave, I'm not just talking about you meet for Bible study and then you pray. A destiny conclave is a place where you perceive what God's agenda is within that destiny conclave. And then based on the perception that you have of God's agenda, you're able to enact it on the face of the earth. So it's not just, I am meeting people to pray. You know, we have so many prayer meetings that are redundant. <laughs> we have very many prayer meetings in the body of Christ that are redundant because people are meeting to pray just because they are trying to look for a group of people, a clique of people that seem to align in terms of what you feel, in terms of your preferences. And by virtue of that, you now form a prayer group. But a prayer group is meant to be formed based on what is God's agenda. And what, for how long, in terms of the duration, is this prayer group supposed to be alive? And what exactly are we supposed to be activating by consequence of the gate, the access point that is present for us to be able to access the next level? But you see, people form prayer groups just because it looks like a good thing. We are praying because we have been exhorted or admonished to pray as a community. But if, if there's nothing in as far as kingdom agenda is concerned, then it, it beats logic. Okay? And that's why I thank, I thank God for the, the Kamaos. Every time you want to join a department in this church, they will ask you, what has God told you? Not what is it you feel, that I feel like I can be part of the worship team. I feel like I can be part of UPH. Because... What God has told you is where his grace lies. So if he's told you you're supposed to be in the worship team, that's where his grace lies. If he's told you you're supposed to be in ushering protocol and hospitality, that is where his grace lies. So if you try and do anything else, you're basically bearing unripe or unseasoned fruit. Are we together? Okay. So the other thing that a gate is, is a gate is a portal. It is a link between the natural and the supernatural. It is that connection, it is that thing that, that gives you that connection to the spiritual entity. In our case, the spiritual entity is the spirit of God, not a demon, okay? A gate is also a place of transit. The purpose of the gate is not for believers to camp around it. It only provides access. This access may be for a season, a fellowship, or packaged in a vision. So the vision of infamy in itself is actually a gate. When you talk about to train believers to know and pursue God's perfect will so as to yield fruit for his kingdom, that in itself is a gate. Why? Because it's possible for you to be trained to know and pursue God's perfect will, but you don't have the fruit. Ask yourself, you have friendships, you have like all these people you engage with, who by the way, they may even be saved, they may be born again. You engage with them and you think, ah, this, this friendship is wonderful, we are edifying each other. However, there is no fruit. <laughs> There's no fruit. <laughs> you see, and that is the reason as to why we need to consistently inquire from God. What are his righteous requirements? And as far as, not just who to engage with, but how do I engage with a person for this particular season? This includes even with fatherhood. I've come to realize there are so many different seasons. With the speed at which our spiritual father moves, if you do not understand the season that he's in, you'll not be able to relate with him properly. You'll struggle, speaking from experience. We're together? The other thing to note is gates have watchmen and gatekeepers. 
So the watchman sees from a distance, while the gatekeeper sees up close. The other thing to note is the watchman's position is at the watchtower, watching day and night. The gatekeeper's position is at the gate. Why? Because gatekeepers need the eye of the watchman to perceive what is happening in the spiritual realm. Now, let me tell you the challenge of the body of Christ. The challenge with the body of Christ now is they have been stuck at the position of the gatekeeper. So the, the position of the watchman is not, is not really there. Why? Because the position of the gatekeeper appears to be convenient for people. You see, the watchman is supposed to watch day and night. The gatekeeper watches the gate. Infamy is, has, has been said to be a spiritual watchtower. So when we say we are a spiritual watchtower, it means that we are supposed to be the watchmen. We're supposed to be standing at the watchtower to be able to see what is happening at the various gates and be able to counter anything that is against the purpose or the agenda of God. So the question we need to ask ourselves as a community is where have we lost it? Because we have. <laughs> we actually have. We've lost it. If you listened to what Deaconess Mary has just said in her devotion, we've actually lost it. Why is it that it's a struggle for us to read the word? Because the word is a really huge struggle for most of us in this community. We pray, we know how to pray. But if we are to ask you, what is the revelation you received this week from the word of God? It is a struggle. It's a struggle not because you don't like reading. Me included, by the way. <laughs> reading sometimes is a chore. Not because we don't like reading, but because we have allowed ourselves to stick to the position of gatekeepers and not watchmen. And we've not understood how the interplay between gatekeepers and watchmen works. So you don't know in which season you're supposed to be a gatekeeper, and you don't know in which season you're supposed to be a watchman. So as a result, you're constantly a gatekeeper, but you're a gatekeeper of convenience. A convenient gatekeeper, so to speak. <laughs> you see, and that is why consecration exists. Consecration exists so that you are capacitated to have the spiritual, your spiritual faculties enlightened so that you can be able to perceive what is happening at the gates. That's why we talk about the gates of society. Why do you think we talk about those gates? Why do you think we say you have been sent to this particular gate? It's because you're not just being sent there as a gatekeeper. You're being sent there as a watchtower. And there's no way you can be a watchtower as infamy as a community if you're not a watchtower in your own personal life. So your spiritual senses, what are you entertaining? That's the first place, the, the most fundamental aspect about being a watchtower is what are you entertaining insofar as what you're allowing into your spiritual faculties is yes. concerned. Because yes. that in itself can determine whether your prayers will be able to be answered or not. And I can tell you by revelation, some of you don't even need to pray for jobs. They're already there. The only reason as to why that job is not coming is because you are stuck at the level of the gatekeeper. The watchman is nothing to you because it seems very inconveniencing. You look at the watchman as this person who needs to be awake day and night. I need to be alert in the spirit. And when you think of that, you think of inconvenience. It doesn't sit well with your flesh. But you see, infamy, there's a place. There's a place in the spirit that we must get to. And that place is where we not only understand what it means to be a watchtower, because we've been saying this for many years, we had a watchtower. It's been over 10 years. What are we watching? <laughs> what are we watching? <laughs> yeah, Netflix, ETC. You know, I was, I was, I was spending time with someone, I think, from, from my workplace, one of my colleagues, because I've had this a lot of times, and I think we talked about it in my region, the region of man, 
Hallelujah, region of man members. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, we talked about it in the region of man. A lot of people are complaining about the economy. The economy is hard. Uh, things are challenging. You know, God has said that I will supply all my all your needs according to my riches and glory. Yet we are struggling. Why is it that we are struggling? You see, <laughs> but they forget that it's it's not that the scripture lied. It's actually the fact that they are at a place of convenience. So because they are at a place of convenience, those few times that they pray, you know, those those very empty prayers, the prayers that are just gas spiritually, that they do during the week, that maybe they pray for food or they pray when they're going to sleep, or they pray for their children, because you know they want their children to, of course, grow up well, and they want to culture them in a certain way. So they do those prayers, and then they come on Sunday and then say, I am a son. But they're not a son, they're a believer. <laughs> they're just a mere Christian who's going through the motions. The, the problem is in, it's, it's not really in the fact that we don't know how to pray. It's not in the fact that we don't know how to read the word. The problem is in what we have entertained. So our spiritual faculties are clogged. So because they are clogged, there's nothing that we can do in as far as receiving the word is concerned and being able to practically apply it in our day-to-day lives. In fact, we have to be careful. This whole thing of spiritual diet, let me tell you, I listened to what Reverend Richard said some months back about spiritual diet. Initially, at face value, it looks very, very basic. It just looks like you're being told, let go of the world. But it's not just about that. It is bigger than that. Destiny is at stake. When you consider what spiritual diet means to our community. It is such as a word that is in season, not only for our community, but for the body of Christ. Because I can assure you, if the spiritual diet of the body of Christ as a whole is put in check, then you'll see the, the, the body of Christ functioning at a level that you've never seen before. Some of the economic policies that you're seeing being enacted, even within our country, will actually be defined by not the government, but actually the church. By virtue of spiritual diet. Hey. That is what sets us apart from every other Tom, Dick, and Harry out there who's not a believer. Amen. So gates have watchmen and they have watchkeepers. So if the gatekeeper has discernment, he will flow in the watchtower anointing. So this is, this is a rebuke to those people who think that because I'm not a pastor, I'm not supposed to flow in the spiritual giftings. You know, it's only Evans and Bishop who interpret tongues. It's not only those people. Each and every one of you in this auditorium has the capacity to do so. It just depends on the level of demand that you place. Because as you place a demand, then the kingdom will be able to supply to that demand. The problem is we never place a demand. Or we just think a burden is this heavy weight. It's this heavy log that whenever you think of a burden, you just think of this thing that in a kukwaza, but a burden is actually a passion. It's something that, that makes you say, you know what, I'm going to be in church at five in the morning and I'm going to pray in this auditorium from five up to nine a.m. when service starts. So that by the time people are coming in, I'm not just praying for myself, but I'm creating an environment. I'm addressing the gates so that the gates will not hinder access to God's presence. Because sometimes the reason as to why we're not able to access the presence of God in our church services is because there are certain gates that are ruling over us. So each and every one of us, we come from various areas. We have, we have been going through a tough week and because our weeks have been tough, the gates that are, have been speaking within our various jurisdictions are what have been governing how we've been operating. So by the time we come here, it is hard to tap into the presence of God because there are gates that are conflicting each other and all these gates are trying to speak. There's an interference. 
There's a fiber cut, if I can put it that way, in the, in the realms of the spirit. Because if each and every one of us address our gates, there will be a unity. And you know we're talking about love, growth, and unity. There'll be a unity such that the gate that I have been ascribing to during the course of the week, when I meet with Curtis, even in this service, there is an interplay of that gate with his. So that now, whatever I have, he is able to receive via impartation. But that impartation will not happen when we are ascribing to gates that are affecting us on a day-to-day basis. Are we together? I'm speaking on the infrastructure of gates, spiritual gates. As you can see, it's not, it's not really as difficult, but it's also not as basic. It is deceptively simple. And I think that's the, the challenging thing with revelation sometimes. It appears very simple, but in a sense, there's a lot more that you need to do because it's a hard thing. I'm giving you leakage on, to, on how to interpret this sermon, by the way. <laughs> so I hope you're taking note. So what you consume spiritually either capacitates or incapacitates you to walk in dominion. It's a gate. Spiritual food is consumed through the channels of your spirit. A stronghold is a consequence of your spiritual diet. I don't know if you know what a stronghold is. A stronghold is a fortified dwelling. It's an encampment around a belief system. So you have a stronghold when you allow a distorted thinking pattern and faulty core belief to hinder your agreement with God's word. I'll say it again. You have a a stronghold when you allow a distorted thinking pattern and faulty core belief to hinder your agreement with God's word. So let me me tell you something. This is very, might be very controversial, but I'm just going to say it because I'm a person of controversy. I'm a prophet. I'm just going to say it. That's your problem if you have an issue. Homosexuality is a stronghold. When I say that I am a transgender, I believe that I am a woman, yet God created me a man. That in itself is a stronghold. Why? Because I have refused a certain value or belief system that the divine would want me to have and I've ascribed to a certain belief system that now dictates what I think about myself. That's why you need to be careful about what you confess about yourself. Just saying, I'm good for nothing, I'm useless. Do you know that's what will happen? You will become useless and good for nothing. <laughs> because the tongue has a lot of power. You know, yesterday we were in a fellowship, and one of the things Bishop was warning us about is the need to bridle our tongues. Of course, the context was different, but it was bridle your tongue. Now, for all of us, we need to bridle our tongues. Bridling your tongue does not mean that now you don't talk. It means you harness your tongue. That harnessing of the tongue is, in physical terms, it's like putting a harness over it to protect it, to cushion it in such a way that by the time I speak, whatever I speak is seasoned with grace. That cushion is basically grace. We're together. Okay? So, when you allow your heart and your mind to be filled with deception, you corrupt the seed of purpose that is in you. So, whatever is in your mind. Let me tell you, that that is the reason as to why you need to guard your mind. You need to guard your heart. You need to guard all these things because in, in there lies the secret in you being able to basically attain to the place of destiny that God is calling you into. Destiny is not attained to just by, by the mere fact of the, the fact that you prayed or someone prayed for you. It is by consequence of what is it that you accept and what is it that you reject. Because what you accept and what you reject basically determines what tangent your life will flow into. That is 
okay? So a stronghold basically inducts you into a pattern. You begin to walk in fear, doubt, negativity, expectations, or rejection or betrayal, a performance-based mentality, victim thinking, among others. So it's a ripple effect. That stronghold has a lot of power. And for most of us who are here, we have a stronghold. And the stronghold is tied to our blind selves. So you cannot immediately see it. But then a man of God will call it out of you, and then you will think that the man of God is being unfair. It's the reason as to why many people have left this community. It's because there was an opportunity that the Lord afforded them to address the stronghold that was perceived in their lives. But because they didn't see it that way, and they missed out, they left in rebellion. And that is the reason as to why, if I can take Bishop's words, if you leave this community in rebellion, wherever you go, that thing will follow you. God will find you there. And he will revisit that stronghold that you failed to address. And he will put you in a position where you'll have to address it. And even if you run to the world, the world itself will spew you out. Or they'll push you to a place where you'll have to address that stronghold. Because the stronghold will affect you or will hinder you from being able to access purpose. Okay? So a stronghold becomes more dangerous when it becomes tethered to your blind self. Once it touches base with your blind self, you become a shell of your true self and a puppet to the stronghold. So the stronghold manipulates everything you do. Your responses, your reactions to things, how you relate with people, it dictates everything. So even the way you respond to certain situations, it is the stronghold that speaks. It's not you. So people will begin to talk to you and they feel like, I'm not relating with you, I'm actually relating with a shell of who you are. Because you're not walking in the manifestation of your identity. And the reason as to why many people don't walk in the manifestation of who God has called them to be is cause of the strongholds tied to, to the blind self that they have. Okay? So it's, a, it's, it's, it's really an admonition to us to look at what is in our blind selves. Married couples, for example, do you know there are certain ways in which you react to disagreements that are prompted by the strongholds that you have, tethered to your blind selves? Do you know there's a way you're raising your children, and the way you're raising your children is not based on God's agenda, it is based on the stronghold. It is a stronghold that is now using you as a puppet to raise your child in accordance to the enemy's design. So, it's, it's, it's not just something basic. You know, you've talked about strongholds many, time in, many times in this community, and we think it's just something that we just say. That, that thing in itself has so much impact on your destiny. You see? And all this is about destiny, as you've noticed, even as I, go, as I continue preaching. So a stronghold basically starts as a wound. So you have an infection, and... For example, and I'm giving you an example here, so maybe you get injured and then you have a wound and you decide you're not going to treat that wound, you'll just leave it there. That is similar to what some of us do with our strongholds. I don't want to use the word our strongholds because it sounds like I'm personalizing it, but for lack of a better way of putting it, we, we, use, we, we allow the strongholds to basically define our existence. Yet our existence is not supposed to be defined by the stronghold, it's supposed to be defined by what the Lord says. Okay? So, 
One thing to understand is a wound that you have can take a longer time to heal or spread to other parts of the body if you do not have it treated or nursed. That's why if you perceive that I have a stronghold and you're just saying, ah, this is just, this is just Evan's issue. You know, this is his stronghold, Siniake. But you have to understand that we are a body. So if you are affected by a stronghold, there's, there's a certain degree of function that I am unable to get to until that stronghold is addressed. It affects communities, it affects people, it affects nations, even leaders in government, they are affected by strongholds. A leader leads by virtue, not, not because they have an understanding of the blueprint of how they're supposed to lead, they lead based on the stronghold that is basically using them as a puppet. So you see a shell of a leader, you don't see the real, basically you don't touch base with the real elements of who this leader is spiritually. I'm not just talking about church, even in companies it's happening. That I'm running a company, and the company on, at face value appears successful, but what I am doing is basically instilling a certain sense of values that are incorrect. And those values are affecting the staff that are under me. It's because there's a puppet, this, this person has become a puppet to the stronghold that is ruling or dictating over them. So there are people going to the wrong doctors to treat wounds that are in their hearts. Spiritual problems require spiritual solutions. You can never address a spiritual issue via head knowledge. It takes the wisdom of God to address an issue that is more spiritual than physical. It doesn't matter how many books you read. You guys can read as many books as you want. And by the way, I'm not saying don't read books. Reading books is good. But if it's the book that now defines how you address certain personal issues that you have, then you're missing the point. The Spirit of God is the greatest book I can ever read. If I study the template of the Spirit, there are certain things I'll not struggle with. But we struggle because we are used to the template of man. You know, during the Kesha, one of the things that the Lord spoke to, to us as a community is the fact that many of us have been relying on the oil of man. We're not relying on the oil of the spirit. The challenge with the oil of man is it has an expiry date. At some point, the oil of man will run out, but the oil of the spirit will keep on overflowing. And that is the reason as to why God is calling us as a community to access the oil of the spirit. Because it is in the oil of the spirit that we'll be able to draw forth the solutions that we need to generate to the various gates that he has called us into. Are we together? Yes. Challenges and traumatic experiences are a medium, a channel or a conduit to our spiritual faculties. So if the devil can access your spiritual faculties, he can destroy your destiny. Your mind, your heart, your will, your emotions, your mind, even when you ponder over certain things, when you, when you consider some negative thoughts that you have, that I am nothing, you know, I am not beautiful. Ladies in the house, I'm not handsome. Men in the house. Some of those things in itself, when you speak that way about yourself, you are basically opening or accessing a certain portal that then dictates, gives a stronghold, a foothold to dictate how exactly you behave within the context of time and space. You know, I can tell you, Something as simple as, ladies, by the way, listen, listen unto me. Something as simple as, 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 a, as a lady you believe, I am overweight, I'm not beautiful, I'm not pretty. That in itself, is, it can open a portal. That then allows a stronghold to now take a foothold over you and cause you not to be able to progress in your life. That's why you need to be very careful about what you say to yourself. Speak to yourself in the mirror. Tell yourself, I am beautiful. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
I am, I am a vessel of God. I am destined for greatness. And I began to realize the power of basically saying the words that you have heard, the prophetic words that God has spoken over you to yourself on a daily basis. Yes. Because you're invoking the spirit behind that prophetic word. And when you invoke the spirit behind that prophetic word, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Okay? Mulumbi preached a sermon on winning the battle of your destiny. Bishop Mulumbi, this was some years ago when he was still in Kivi. And I think Bishop, Bishop, our Bishop, Papa, actually shared it with us on the group. It's a very, very powerful sermon. The sermon talked about offense. And one of the things Bishop Mulumbi said was that if you have offense, you are not sober. And if you're not sober, you're not watchful. Now remember, the word over the community is that we are a watchtower. Exactly. So how can you expect to be a watchtower if you have offense? Impossible. Why? Because your spiritual faculties are clogged. There's basically an airlock in your spiritual faculties. So there's no possibility for you to be able to discern a right. Because you're not sober. You lack the capacity to be vigilant, as we have been told in scripture, that we need to be vigilant. Okay? So this is the reason why I'm talking about strongholds, because they affect your potential to succeed where God has planted you. The challenge with a stronghold is you can't cast it out. <laughs> you can't cast it out because it's a total change of how you see things. And some of our strongholds are, 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 are as, a, as a result of our upbringing. So because I've been brought up a certain way, I embrace a certain perspective, that becomes a stronghold. So you have to really look back, look back at your life, look at how you were raised. And by the way, our parents, God bless God for them, they were placed in our lives for a purpose, but there are certain things that we need to root out and deal with because it is not in tandem with God's blueprint for our lives. Okay? So before you talk about infamy, being a spiritual watchtower, you need to become a spiritual watchtower in your personal life. How do you do this? By guarding your doors and your gates. Just as we've read in Psalms 24 verse 7, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up. Ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. The question I'd like to pose to you today is how faithful have you been in guarding the doors and gates to your spiritual faculties? How faithful have you been? Maybe you can ask your neighbor, how faithful have you been in guarding the doors and gates to your spiritual faculties? If you have a baby, you can also ask them, how faithful have you been <laughs> in guarding the doors and, and, and gates? Baby Malka, how faithful have you been? <laughs> because it's, this is something that will determine the tangent that your destiny will take. It's, it's really, really important. That's why I talk about it with this kind of passion and intensity. Intensity, pun intended. But that's why I talk about it with this, this kind of passion. Because there are certain things as a community we have not yet embraced, we have not yet ascended into because of the fact that there are certain gates that are at play in our lives. The infrastructure of spiritual gates. Why are gates important in the spiritual realm? It's because in the spirit realm, whoever controls the gate, controls the territory and exercises dominion over you. Because a gate is a place of authority where dominion is exercised. That's why you establish an altar at your home, at school, as well as at your workplace. It's because that is what dominion is. When you establish that altar, that is actually dominion. 
it is the first, let me say one of the fundamental levels of exercising your dominion. That I cannot be able to just be in a workplace and I'm not establishing an altar. I'm just earning a salary. And I'm happy I'm earning a salary. Do you know one of the reasons as to why we have some of the, these tax deductions that you're seeing, uh, this housing levy that you're seeing? Do you know one of the reasons as to why that exists? It's because believers are comfortable in their workplaces. They're so comfortable and they're so content with just earning a salary. So because I earn a salary, I forget about my assignment. Because I have benefits, I forget about my assignment. It's just na mani na enjoyment. That's what I'm living for. <laughs> and I forget completely the place of assignment that God had called me into that company in the first place. So consider you've been in a workplace for 10 years and you're wondering why is it that the Lord is not ushering me to another workplace? I've been waiting, waiting, waiting. I've been praying, I've been seeking God about this whole idea of, of my, my workplace. It's because the assignment that God had ordained you to accomplish has not yet been accomplished. You are pursuing your own personal assignment, not the divine's assignment. Yeah. Also pursuing promotions and other benefits, but you're forgetting the assignment. That's why the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. That as I pursue the assignment, all these other things, promotions, um, opportunities, additional benefits, they will come by virtue of the fact that I've prioritized the kingdom. Are we together? So if you don't understand gates and where they come from, you will live your life in poverty. And by poverty, I don't, I don't just mean the absence of resources, absence of money, there's spiritual poverty as well. Spiritual poverty, for example, means you come to church on a day like this, God moves the way he does, and then during the course of the week, you still struggle with your prayer life. That's spiritual poverty. Or you struggle to read the word, that's spiritual poverty. Some of us are not struggling with our spiritual walk because of the fact that we have basically embraced one principle. And that one principle has basically caused there to be certain breakthroughs manifesting in our lives. Yeah? So if you don't understand gates as well, your ordinations will remain dormant in your spiritual womb until you leave this world. So it's like me saying, I'm a, I'm a pastor, I'm a prophet, but then there's nothing. That prophetic unction is dead completely because of the fact that I've not understood the gates that are in operation in my life. It's a daily thing. Just because you've addressed a gate today, it doesn't mean there are no other gates out there that need to be addressed. You know, sometimes you look at it from a very selfish perspective. It's me, my wife, and my children, and my dog, or cat. Hallelujah, Maweu. <laughs> it's me, my, my, my wife, or my spouse, and my children. And we, we forget, beyond that, once I've addressed the gates at the family level, there's of course the workplace, the marketplace, that is, there's the nation, there's the wider body of Christ globally, because we are called to the nations. When God says you're called to the nations, really, really meditate on that. It's not just a term that sounds very, very fancy, and oh, I'm going to fly out to other countries. If you're flying out to other countries, there are gates that will have to be addressed. Are you prepared? For that? Or is it, are you just joyriding? Is it tourism? <laughs> hey, Dan is preaching my sermon. Is it tourism? We have to, we have to ask ourselves these questions because God does not speak because he has a mouth. He speaks because he has a purpose. 
as we keep saying. So if God has said we are being sent to the nations, the question is, what are the gates we are going to face? And are we ready for the responsibility? Because that is God ushering you into a watchtower anointing. So many people go through gates that may be good or bad without realizing they are doing so. I think I've already mentioned that gates are entered via what you accept as well as what you reject. So if you reject a principle, that in itself ushers you into a gate without your knowledge. Even just a simple principle such as God has told me to give a certain percentage of my salary. The Bible basically specifies 10%, but we should not limit ourselves to the 10%. I think as Bishop has told us time and time again, that we should continue growing from glory to glory in how we give. So if I reject that principle, that in itself ushers me into a gate. So some of us have been ushered into these gates either knowingly or unknowingly, without our knowledge. For most of us, it's unknowingly. Because you've accepted something very, very simple. I went out with my friends. We maybe went with my colleagues. They were drinking wine. And then I decided, or they offered me wine, and they're like, yeah, you know, you're a Christian, but just take some of this wine. It's okay, just take a sip. And I take it. That in itself has ushered me into a gate. See, you have to be very careful about these things. A simple show I watch on Netflix. I watch it, it has a blue scene. I'm, I'm trying to close my eyes, but the sound is still visible. My ears are spiritual faculties. I'm receiving that. I'm ushered into a gate. <laughs> you see, it makes you see things from a whole different standpoint when you consider the things that we allow or entertain even during the course of the week. So there are gates that you have to break into to access your next level. That's why scripture says that the kingdom suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. It's because there are some that require you to break into it. That's why we talk about breaking into another realm. Basically, when you talk about breaking into another realm, you can't talk about that without a gate because every realm has a gate. It has an access point. So when I talk about the realms of Christ, there's a gate to the realms of Christ. When I talk about realms of consecration, there is a gate into that realm of consecration. Okay? So a good example was Abraham was given the blessing of possessing the gates of his enemies. You can read this at home. That's in Genesis 22, verse 17. If we don't possess the gates of our enemies, they can hinder us from pursuing our destiny. I want to go to Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 to 17. Matthew 16, verse 13 to 17. I think I'll read it from here since I have it. The version is different, but just flow with me. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Pause. The people here assumed that the way the Messiah would come would be similar to the prophets that preceded them. That the government of God would be brought by the ministry of John, the Baptist, Elijah, as well as Jeremiah. Yet, these people, they came and they died. But what, what basically Jesus was trying to test is whether the disciples understood what exactly was his mandate. How was the kingdom government meant to be established? And the kingdom government was essentially meant to be the priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. 
That's why in verse 15, if you continue on, it says, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You see, their discernment, the discernment of the disciples, the reason as to why they mentioned Elijah, Jeremiah, and John the Baptist is because their discernment was limited because the gates of hell had dominated them. There was a gate that was dominating them. So because that gate was dominating them, it propagated a certain sense of deception that made them think that Elijah, Jeremiah, and John the Baptist were the ones who were meant to basically portray the Messiah. Okay? But Simon Peter was able to perceive that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Because he perceived, he basically perceived the priesthood after the order of Melchizedek when he said this. He was invoking the immortality resident within that priesthood. That's what he was basically doing. Verse 17, Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Verse 19, and I'll give you the keys to to the kingdom, the keys of the kingdom rather, of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So Jesus wanted to start the church the moment he began his ministry. That's one thing that you, you need to understand. But if the gates of hell prevailed against it, it would have been a waste. So that's why he took time educating his disciples for over three years so that they could pick the key for themselves. Why? Because every gate has a key. And the key is basically unlocked, again, from your spiritual faculties. So my mind, basically, in as far as knowledge is concerned and understanding, if I have knowledge and understanding, that in itself can be a key to unlocking higher realms of revelation. But most of us struggle with that revelation in as far as the word is concerned because we have not yet obtained that key. And that key is basically a resultant factor of tarrying in the presence of God. So that's why he asked, who do men say I am? People didn't know the way to the city. The foundation of God's government was Christ. So this question was meant to test the disciples' readiness for the advent of the church. That's why when he said, upon this rock will I build my church, he wasn't talking to Peter. He was talking to the revelation of who he was. Not to Peter. It was about the revelation of who he was. So he wasn't just telling Peter, you are the rock. He was talking about the church. He's talking about the revelation of who he was as Christ. So immediately after, because after this, after this passage, actually later on, you'll realize Jesus proclaimed his death and resurrection. And Jesus did this because knowledge is a gate. Yes. That's why the Bible says my people perish because of lack of knowledge. It's a gate. In fact, let me put it this way. Knowledge is a key to the gate. So many people want to access the gate, but they don't have the key to the gate. And then there are people who have the key to the gate, which is knowledge, but they don't have understanding. And then also they lack wisdom on how to appropriate the knowledge and understanding that they have. So it's, it's a very broad spectrum. But as you can see, a lot really is, is pegged on your spiritual faculties and your ability to address certain things that may affect your ability for your spiritual faculties to function the way God ordained. Okay? So... Jesus entrusted the inception of the early church to novices, yet there were Pharisees, teachers of the law, who had both knowledge and understanding. 
Why is this? Because Jesus was driven by relationship, not by head knowledge. He was, he was driven by basically devotion, not by the head knowledge that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had. If that were the case, then the disciples may not have been chosen. He went for fishermen. Yet there were Pharisees who seemed to be well-educated. They knew the Torah. They knew the word better than the disciples did. But he chose the disciples because he knew that if I can teach these people something, if I can culture them to have a certain set of values, if I can unlock certain gates in them, these people have the capacity to unlock certain gates in the world. That's how the church started. That is dominion. Praise God. So you can be a businessman or a minister with no experience, but so long as you have addressed the gates that are hindering your progress, you have the capacity to attain to purpose. Come on. So it's, it's not about how many years I've been in ministry. Personally, I consider myself a novice for information. I'm still a novice. There's so much I'm yet to experience. I'm not yet seasoned. But provided that I address the gates that are in my life, or that are in operation in my life, I have the capacity to function as that minister that God has ordained me to be. So for some people, gates are principalities, while for others, it is actually in the company you keep. So what company do you keep? Who are the people that you spend time with? Who are the people that advise you as well? Because advice has the capacity to unlock gates or close them. So you have to be very careful. What is the advice you're receiving? Married couples, what advice are you taking? You don't just take advice from any Tom, Dick, and Harry out there. That because they have a certain strategy, they've written a book, or they're marriage counselors, you think that that person has advice that can help your marriage. But remember, you are basically partaking from a stream that God didn't ordain you to, to partake of, if you do that. That's why you need to check. Make sure you're very careful about the people that advise you. Who is it that advises you? Because advice has a context. So if there's no context for that advice, then it is not advice that is in season or in tandem with what God would desire you to hear. Okay? Revelations 3 verse 20. I have it open. So just, it, it just says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. There are many people who access the door and knock. They also hear the voice but do not open the door. They are still knocking even after Christ has issued an invite to dine with him. So the problem is not in hearing the voice. Many of us have heard the voice, but the question is whether we've opened the door. Opening the door is a whole other thing. God is continuously speaking, and he has continuously given us access to him by giving us an invitation to dine with him. The question is, have we accepted that invite? That accepting the invite doesn't just mean, yes, I accept it but you live your life the way you want. Accepting that invite means you partake of his value system. You partake of his culture. You partake of his norms. You partake of his behavior. So that what Christ does, I basically do. That's what it means. So opening the door is not just physical. Opening the door means you love what God loves and you hate what God hates. Primarily sin. So there are seven ways through which the presence, the presence of God can pervade your soul. One is revelation. This is frequencies of light that you may not see with your physical eyes but are present in the spiritual realm. I'm going through this quickly because for most of them we are aware of what these are. The second one is intuition. Having a feeling or strong conviction about a situation or a matter. 
a strong inclination that you cannot really explain or elucidate. And many times, those inclinations tend to be correct. Do you know me? I've, I've come to really, really respect women because of this thing of, I have this feeling. My wife does it as well. I have this feeling. When she says that, I really, I really pay attention because somewhere in that feeling might actually be the voice of God. So if I take it for granted, then I miss out on an opportunity to access destiny. So you have to be very careful. Even the people who speak to you, I'm not just saying it's for women only, also men. Hallelujah, men's fellowship, men of the cloud. <laughs> You're not left out. <laughs> yeah. So in case you hear a fellow brother telling you, I feel this. In fact, they might not even say, I feel it in my spirit. Sometimes you wait for someone to say, I feel this in my spirit. They tell you, I feel something. Take heed about what they're saying, because it might be an opportunity for you to access a gate that you don't have access to. So don't take things for granted. The third one, it's the fear of God. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. So when you fear God, you're not living in fear. You're living in the divine element of the law. You reverence the Lord. It's not intimidation. So that I'm not afraid of this, I don't imagine this God to be this person with a big stick. That when I sin, he's going to cane me. Or I'm going to have a nightmare that night of him caning me. <laughs> Superimposition of bishop caning you. Then you say, this is the Lord caning me. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. Okay? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. That fear is a reverence for him. That I revere him so much that there are certain things I'll not do. That there are certain things that I'll not partake of because of the fact that I fear the Lord. I reverence him. And that now drives my desire to worship him. The other one is prayer. So it's not just limited to your wants. It's ultimately praying for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, when Jesus taught us how to pray, the Lord's prayer that we usually refer to, he mentioned the fact that we need to say, um, may your will be done as it is, on, as it is in heaven. As it, on earth as it is in heaven, rather. So when, when he said that, he wasn't saying that we should use the exact same words. He was basically saying that our heart postures should be at a place where we understand what the will of God is, and that will of God is what now we enact within the face of the earth. Sometimes we think that the will of God is meant to be enacted automatically in a vacuum, but it must first start in our hearts. Once it's enacted in our hearts, it manifesting in the physical will not be an issue. The other aspect is faith. Faith is the connecting power to the spiritual realm. So the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. The other one is hope, the strength of a person's desire, confident expectation of what God has promised. And the final one is worship. Have you ever imagined why exactly as infamy we do spontaneous songs? <laughs> Let me also help the visitors. For people who are visiting us for the first time, you might wonder why is it that these people sing in tongues? You know, they don't sing in understanding. They are bubbling the same things over and over. It's because that in itself is a gate. That worship we are doing in tongues is actually opening certain gates into our lives. You may not see it physically, you may not feel it, but the reality is there. Because the spiritual realm is not about feeling. The spiritual realm is basically about divine perception. Okay? So a deity manifests more power and control in a place if the altars are raised to that, de that deity. The altar is the ratification that affirms the deity to operate within a place or a person's life. So it is the, that altar that basically says, yes, Lord, I allow you to work within this particular jurisdiction. 
So if you want the Lord to work in a particular organization, in a particular place, you erect an altar. Because that altar in itself is the ratification, it is the approval, it is what justifies or gives the spirit entity legal ground to operate within that area. Okay? So erecting an altar means you're sealing the pattern and defining the approach and culture that you will ascribe to. You're basically defining the modus operandi or, or the practices you will adopt as part of your lifestyle. Also, the altar brings down the power and control of the deity to a place. That is why it's, that, that is why it's easy to tell the kind of altar that is erected in a certain territory. Just look at whether people are progressing or not. That will tell you the kind or the nature of the altar that is at play within a particular area. Okay? So, sacrifice is a seed that activates the power of the altar that has been erected. Because when you sacrifice, you are seeding power and control. You're basically saying that whatever control I have over my resources, I'm giving it to you, Lord. Take over. Whatever power I have over my marriage, I'm giving it to you. Take over. I'm sacrificing it. Whatever power I had over my workplace, my career, I'm giving it to you. Take over. So that whatever targets I set, how I engage with people in that workplace, is modulated by the Spirit of God, not by what I feel. So even when my boss or my manager, my superior, has told me something and it has offended me, I need to go back and ask myself, okay, where is this person, not, not only where is this person coming from, but what is the Lord trying to address in me through what this person is saying? Okay? That's why people in the occult, to, to a great extent, they've, they've, really, really, they've really, really superseded us as believers. Because if you, if you look at how they behave, they give blood sacrifices. Yet we are giving 50 shillings as an offering. And you're saying, I sacrifice my life. But that 50 shillings is not a depiction of your life. You see, it's, it's, it's not about the amount, guys. Like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that now give 50,000 as an offering. You can give that 50,000, but your heart is absent from it. It's, it's really about your heart posture. Sacrifice is about your heart posture, such that even if I'm giving that 20 shillings, by the way, that it is the whole of my life is being given within that 20 shillings. Uh-huh. Remember the story of the woman with the alabaster box? Same thing. She gave of her heart. She didn't have much, but she gave of her heart to Christ. And that is what Christ saw, and he was touched by it. He was moved. God doesn't move by virtue of what we give physically. He moves by virtue of the sacrifices we make from our hearts. That's why in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11, it says, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. He doesn't need your money. He wants your life. That's what God wants. And if you can give him your life, then you will be able to dictate and basically define what the tangent of your destiny will look like. Let me also submit to you that dominion is not manifested when you are in control. It is best shown in how you relegate control over people and situations. Uh You know, we think dominion is when I have control over my situation, I have dominion. But dominion in in the spiritual realm is when I relegate every form of control and power I have and allow the spirit to take control. That is where dominion starts. Uh So you can't say I'm exercising dominion in the gates if that hasn't happened. That has to precede it. 
If it hasn't preceded it, there's no dominion you're exercising. It is just potential energy. In Numbers 23, if God had not intervened in the case of Balaam and Israel, he would have cast the people of God by means of the evil altars and sacrifices he offered upon them. It's important to note that an altar has the power to cause those who try to curse you to end up blessing you. Because the Spirit of God can deposit the language that resides on the altar into the mouth of a man. Very good example is in Numbers 23. You can read it on your own, but it's the story of, um, of Balaam and Balak. Balak basically calls Balaam to curse the people. But then he goes, and what he says is not really what he thought. His mouth is basically controlled because of the altar that is at play, the altar that has been installed within that particular place. And he ends up blessing the people. So even the people that have cursed you, all those curses can be reversed because of the, the altar and also the gate that is basically operating in your life. Okay? That's why we need to address gates. Because when you address gates, any person that speaks against the language or the culture of the gate, that person will not be able to prosper. Whatever word they speak will not be able to find root in your life. So spiritual gates are places of power and control. If you read Genesis 28, verse 12 to 17, you will learn how gates are established. Yes. Altars are used to open gates of entry and control for God in a particular place. That's why in that story that you read in Genesis 28, that's why angels were ascending and descending via stairway. It's because of the fact that there was basically an altar that was used to open a gate. Okay? Yes. So basically an altar is a type of key that opens gates. Ah. It also has the capacity to break gates as well. So if I want to break a certain gate in my life, I erect an altar. If I want to break a gate that has caused me not to progress, I erect an altar. Why? When I erect that altar, that altar will speak different things than what the gate has been speaking. Yeah. So spiritual gates are powerful because they can prevent you from getting married, having children, having financial breakthrough, earning a degree, and experiencing growth in ministry. Consider that some of the things that you're not able to do are a factor of the spiritual gates that are operating in your life by consequence of the spiritual environment you live in or work in. Let me list a few of, the, of these physical manifestations of spiritual gates. Number one, some churches never grow because they're under the yoke of principalities ruling over a particular territory. They never experience growth. Numerically, it appears like they're growing, but spiritually, they're not growing. They're dormant. They're relying on a particular word that was given 10 years ago. That is what they're using to now operate. So they're not functioning. There's no fruit. Secondly, when almost everyone living in a certain area is given to drunkenness, adultery, idolatry, fornication, homosexuality, among others, they are under the yoke of whatever demon is sitting at the gates of that area. So the few people who refuse to conform to this lifestyle are seen as outcasts. You've probably experienced it. That in, in a particular area in a workplace, people have this perspective that uh, perhaps they, they look at adultery, drunkenness as something that they can entertain. But because you don't entertain it, they see you as an outcast. Yep. It's something that you can relate with. You have people in your estates, you tell them I'm a believer. Or if you go ahead and tell them I'm a pastor, <laughs> which I've done before, by the way. It's a very interesting story. Someone for another day. But you go ahead and tell them who you are. And by virtue of who you are, once you tell this person who you are, they begin to treat you as if you're an outcast. The other alternative to it is they could fear you. 
or just call you a witch, a witch doctor, which I've also heard many times. <laughs> you see, so it's something that you're, you're likely to see in a place where people are given to a certain behavior, and that behavior has dictated them for a long time, that if they see someone who is against that particular behavior, then they feel like that person's an outcast. They're against progress, because that's how they view progress, in their limited scope of thinking. Number three, there are families where they go through affliction and disasters during a particular month, season, place, or age. For example, people in a certain family die in a particular month of the year. It's not normal, it's something spiritual. There's a gate that is basically dictating or causing that to happen. Or people are contracting chronic illnesses at a certain age. There's a gate that is basically causing that to occur. Or most people are struggling with drunkenness or marriages never last. People are getting married after 11 months, they're divorcing or separating. That in itself is a gate. There's a gate that, that has been established and that gate needs to be broken for there to now be freedom for the people in that particular family. So we must possess the gates of our enemies. It's also in Genesis 22 verse 17. Same thing that Abraham was actually told by, by God. So gates are strengthened by the presence of gate men. Every entry point into a city, or every entry point on the road into a city is a gate. That's why you'll see witches and sorcerers basically singing and walking barefoot in the middle of the night at the entrance to cities, because they understand that is the gate. It's a prophetic act. Well, it's a demonic act, let me put it that way. So they're doing that to basically cause a certain sense of stagnancy within the people in a particular area. That's why, Sometimes God will give you an instruction and tell you he wants you to go and pick the soil from a certain place and pray over it, anoint it. It's because he is basically calling you to address the altars and the gates that have been opened within that particular area. Yeah. Yeah? So it's not just, it's not divination, by the way. It is something that's very, very prophetic in nature. So no demon operates in a land without coming through a gate. That's why we talk about spiritual programming. That's what spiritual programming is. It's basically programming a particular place, a particular area, a particular family, a particular jurisdiction based on a particular blueprint. And that blueprint is dependent on the spiritual entity that is being submitted to. Yeah. yeah. So it is the same case in the kingdom. An altar is a doorway for the spirit of God as well as angels. Remember that everything that the devil knows is basically copied from God. He's only twisted it to serve his own agenda. The other thing to note is that gates are satanic strongholds. Isaiah 45 verse 2 reveals the nature of gates we are up against in spiritual warfare. That is why when you anoint a place that has troubled you and command the trouble to stop, the sensitivity in that place is supposed to be open up to your prayer. So each time in the Old Testament, saints entered a city, they built an altar to subdue the land. You can even look at Joshua chapter 18, verse 1 at your own time. The same case is actually demonstrated there in a perfect way. That altar was to open a gate, a doorway into the city to control the gates that operated there. It was to establish a covenant, a covenant rather, because covenants establish altars for us and the power of dominion flows through the covenant. So you cannot walk in dominion without a covenant. Without a covenant, you have no context for dominion to operate. The other thing that I'd like to say is every one of us has a star. 
Your star pulls into your life those things or events which your destiny needs to be fulfilled. This is how we prophesy to an individual. We basically locate them in the spirit using their star. And then based on that, we're now able to speak what thus says the Lord, based on what we have perceived from the spirit of God. It's the same case for ministry. Every ministry has a star. Infamy has a star. So there are ministries out there whose stars are diminished, but then they're deluding themselves that they're still functioning. But the star was diminished a long time ago, so there's no fruit in that ministry. People are not growing, people are dormant, or there's just a lot of issues of disunity in the church because the star was diminished ages ago. So one of the prevailing levels of spiritual ignorance in the church is that the kingdom of darkness always attempts to use other people's stars to their own benefit, and when that happens, the person finds it very difficult to manifest their destiny, and good things never come their way. Having a covenant is one of the ways of ensuring that your star is intact. As long as you are in covenant with God, he will always tell you when you are straying away from your destiny. If you have a covenant with God, ladies and gentlemen, that is the one way, in fact, the most important aspect that God would desire of you so that you're able to understand what gates have been in operation in my life. What altars do I need to erect so that I'm able to address anything that is hindering me from attaining to the place of destiny? Praise God. I am done with my sermon. Thank you for listening to this audio. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe and share with a friend.